0: Lord God, we thank you um, that even though we can't be together, we can be together. And um, so thank you, Lord, that we can connect online this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word, and um, we thank you, Lord, that your word is always an encouragement to us. And so we pray for that this morning. We open our hearts and minds to how you want to encourage us this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Um, I had no idea what to preach on this week, and poor Nate, he texts me every Monday and says, what are you preaching on this week? And I said, I don't know. have no idea. Um, Even Tuesday night, I had no idea. So I was looking at the songs he'd chosen and um, probably didn't settle on something till Wednesday, I think. And um, really interesting, Caleb and Jess had no idea, or Caleb had no idea either. And um, his kids' time this morning was perfect. But I want to talk about this morning that my focus affects my responses. My focus affects my responses. Um, So I want to ask us, what is our focus, or what often can be our focus? I know sometimes the news can be our focus, circumstances can be our focus, and how does that affect um, our responses um, in life? Um, I know some people love Sky News, I watch a bit of Sky News, um, and those guys have some great points. But sometimes they get a bit one-sided, a bit tunnel vision. And um, I think what I want us to think about this morning is, you know, we can get tunnel vision. We can get focused or even fixated on our circumstances or on our problems. Um, And how does that affect us? How does that affect our responses? I know if I get all focused on a problem, I can get quite um, irrational. I can get agitated, all these kind of things. And so this morning, I I want us to consider where is our focus in all this? Where is our focus today? And where could it be? Because you know what I love about God is he doesn't have tunnel vision. God sees the beginning from the end. He sees everything. And so um, when we refocus from our circumstances or from this opinion or that opinion, we refocus on God, we start to see things as God sees them. Now we don't see everything God sees because that would overwhelm us, but God allows us to see things from his perspective bit by bit. And then things shift and our responses change. And so um, a psalm I love, but I've never preached on the whole psalm. So I better speak quick this morning. But I want to preach on Psalm 139. And as I looked on this, I first want to preach on the first six verses. But as I studied the psalm, there's this great theme um, that I want to try and unpack this morning. And that is, um, David, as many times in the psalms, um, and most people think David wrote this psalm, and would believe that, that he started off... Um, well, sometimes start off real sad. He didn't in this psalm. He's focused on God, and then you see a response from that focus. And so the first three sections of this psalm, um, he's focused on aspects of God and who God is. And then the next three sections is the response that comes out of that. So let's look at that this morning. If you've got Psalm 139 with you, um, I'll be rattling through that as we go. So the first one here is God, in the first six verses... God knows me and still wants me. How good is that? A lot of us think if someone really knows me, will they still like me? You know what? God knows me better than I know myself, and He still wants me. That's what these first six verses are saying. David said, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me very well. Um, God focuses on God's knowledge of Him. God has searched Him and knows Him. Four times in this section, you'll see. The word you is used of God. You have searched me. You know me. You discern my going in and my lying down. You hem me in behind and before. This is an emphasis on God's involvement in David's life. See, God is not just a God who searched us and knows us, but he's a God who wants to be involved with us. How powerful is it to be wanted, especially by someone important to us? You know what? When I first become a, from the time I first become a dad, I wanted to be involved with my kids' life. Now, I haven't always done it great, but I want to. I want to be interested in what they're interested in. I want to enter their world. I want to hear what's going on for them. And you know what? That's what God does. He's even um, better at that, so much better than that than I am. I want to be in my kids' life. God wants to be in our lives, but he also has the ability to be in our lives like no parent ever could be. How good is that? And, and Jesus kind of unpacked this even more in Matthew when he said that he knows the number of hairs on our heads. I have no idea. I like my kids' hair, but I've never counted the hairs on their heads. Now God, because he's God, he knows us so well. And you know what, why did Jesus say that? Does God have some weird attraction to hair? No, but he's trying to point out how well God knows us. God knows us so well, and he still wants a relationship with us. He still wants to be in our lives. And here, this is where David ends in this first section. Such knowledge, verse 6, is too wonderful for me. Wow, really you know, sometimes I get to know a part of myself I didn't know before. I go, I'm not sure I like that part. But God already knew it. And God still says, Come follow me. He still wants to be involved in our lives. So the psalmist is amazed that God, the God who needs nothing, knows him so well and wants to be involved in his life. Secondly, God is with me, God is everywhere. This is what David starts to explain. Even though I, that makes me really nervous. We tend to want to hide. He says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Here's the thought of fleeing God's presence. And it's natural for us. And when we're aware of our sin and our brokenness to desire to hide, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, we hide from God because when we get a a concept of God and how perfect and powerful he is, we tend to want to hide away and not engage. But you know what David was explaining here was our hiding's pointless we can't run and we can't hide here's someone how some um, Spurgeon quoted this a great preacher um, Spurgeon said this the presence of God's glory is in heaven so his glory is in heaven the presence of his power on earth the presence of his justice in hell and the presence of his grace with his people I always wondered what that verse said when it, even in the depths you are there And you know what? God actually is in hell, but that's where his justice is. We don't want to be in that part. We want to be in the other part. So it says here, and the presence of his grace with his people. You know what? If we stop hiding and stop running, we don't get to encounter the justice of God. We get to encounter the grace of God. And that's what David understood. When God called Adam and Eve, they made a good choice. They realized they couldn't really hide. And you'll notice in that story, God called to them, you know, where are you? And they didn't keep hiding. They actually responded um, straight away. And maybe they knew their attempt at hiding from God was pointless. Maybe they knew God's grace would replace um, their feeble attempt at covering themselves. You know, when they sinned and they realized they were naked, they made fig leaves, you know, clothing out of fig leaves. Well, that's not going to be so useful, is it? You can't wash it. the Fig leaves will dry up. You know what God does? He sacrifices an animal and makes them clothing out of animal skin. A more permanent solution. You know what that picture is for us? Is that the fig leaves represent our attempts to fix our lives and cover our shame. But God sacri- making a sacrifice and clothing Adam and Eve in animal skins is pointing to the cross. God's solution in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross taking our place um, for punishment means that we can have a relationship with God and Jesus' sacrifice covers us. Just like the animal skins were a more permanent covering, Jesus' death on the cross covers our sin and our shame. It's a permanent fix for us. The psalmist raised that God is everywhere. So running is futile. But not only is it futile, it's better if we run towards God. A bit like Caleb's kid's time, we're not looking at the problem, we're turning and we're looking to God. So instead of trying to run from God or hide from God, we realize He's everywhere. And actually, if we run to Him, we're not going to encounter His judgment, we're going to encounter His grace. So let's be like the psalmist this morning and run to God, not from God. And the third point David makes this morning is, God made me awesome, and I need to know that. Um, this is a passage I've preached on many times. I've talked about it many times because I love it. Um, but here it is in the context of Psalm 139. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Here's the psalmist's insight into God's hand in creating mankind. God takes great care in creation of every little baby and puts great care and thought into every part of his creation, of us. From our personality, to the color of our skin, to the color of our hair, God puts a lot of thought and a lot of effort. When there's a pregnant woman around, God is really busy in there, creating something very unique, and we need to see that. But see, what David knew is he says, I know that full well, and we need to know that full well. We need to know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God made us good. And we need to come into agreement with that, that God made us good. When we can see God's creativity and care in the creation of ourselves, we can turn from whining to worship. You ever looked in the mirror and started whining? You know what? We should look in the mirror and start to worship at God's magnificent creation. It's not narcissism. It's actually focused on God, not ourselves. Thank you, God, for making me. Thank you, God, for making me the way you made me. When we really know that God knows me, he's with us, and he made us awesome, it stirs a response in us. So my next three points this morning is when, we, when God's my focus, I can't help but worship. I can't help but worship. And here we see in verse 17, um, the psalmist say, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. One commentator says David was filled with amazement and adoration by considering how God knew and cared for him. It is precious that God should think of us at all. Isn't it amazing? God's like God. doesn't need us. doesn't need to think about us. But the Bible tells us that he thinks about us, that we're on his mind, and that he thinks about us often. It's precious that God should think of us at all. It's beyond precious that he would think well of us and think so often of us how amazing is that no wonder david worshipped but where was david's focus it was on god how precious are my thoughts no how precious are your thoughts he was thinking about god's thoughts not his own thoughts have you ever noticed when you buy a particular car then you notice how many of those cars are around If you buy a yellow car, you notice all the yellow cars. you buy a red car, you notice all the red cars. you buy a Ford, you notice all the Fords or the particular model. And this is what it means to magnify. When we focus, we realize the reality. You know what? Those yellow cars were always there. We just didn't notice them. But because we bought a yellow car, that becomes our focus, we suddenly notice the reality of all the other yellow cars. You know what? When we focus on God, it doesn't make him any bigger because he's already big. But it helps us come into the reality of how big God is. How good God is. And so um, our focus changes and then our reality changes. Not that reality changes, but our perception of reality changes. And we realize that God is big and caring and loving. When we focus on God, we come into the reality of how amazing he is. And therefore we respond in awe and worship. Next Thing that happened to David point five is when God's my focus, I choose to repent. Isn't that interesting? This is a passage that didn't seem to fit in this psalm, but it's actually a focus on repentance. And says, oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. This is a message translation of verse 19. And please, God, do away with wickedness for good. This seems strange until we understand it here. The psalmist is saying that he wants nothing to do with evil. When he sees God and how good he is and how perfect God is, he goes, man, you know, it's it's a bit like, I don't know, going to an amazing, um, what do you call those, a la carte restaurants. And then, you know, You go and get an airplane and have airplane food. It's just not the same. And actually, I'd love to have an illustration broader than that because when we realize how good God is, we realize how rubbish sin is. We realize how rubbish our way is when we realize God's way is so much better. And this is what was happening for David. Um, As a proverb in Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To hate evil. And that's where David was at. He hated evil. He said, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Because he knew God and was getting to know God. He goes, oh, this here is rubbish. I love God. Therefore, I hate this. I'll never forget one time I was talking about hating the devil and hating sin at one of our previous churches. And this guy came up to me after the service. He said, my father told me I should never use the word hate. I go, and I had to just agree to disagree because I said, well, you know, it's in the Bible. I'm sorry what your father told you, but I probably didn't say that. But it's in the Bible, so I'm going to hate the devil and I'm going to hate sin. You know what? I think one of the problems is today we fight people because we're not fighting evil. Um, Ephesians says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. It's not against people. See, we're made, I think we're made to fight. But we're made to fight evil and we're made to fight the devil. And this is what David was talking about. And if we don't hate evil, the hate's going to come out somewhere else. So get all your hate today and turn it against the proper enemy, the the devil. Not against people, not against governments, not against stuff, but against powers and principalities, the devil and against evil. That's the stuff we're supposed to hate. And that's the stuff we're meant to fight against through prayer and through living holy lives. So when God's my focus, I choose to repent. I realize that I hate evil and I love God. He's my focus. I turn from evil and I focus and follow God. And that's my last point this morning. When God's my focus, I want to follow his lead. Isn't that interesting? I want to follow his lead. It's not a chore. Um, Verse 24, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, his final response of worship was, lead me, lead me. When we see how good and how great God is, we want to follow. Um, Many moons ago now, um, we went with the Salvos to Subship School over to America to the summer camps. And um, we could get international licenses those days. And and, um, the camp director let us borrow this big automatic V8 Ford thing, like van it fit 10 people in it, and it was amazing. But you had to drive on the wrong side of the road. And that's not so bad until you t- turn in an intersection. Then it gets really scary because you're tempted to turn onto the wrong side of the road. But I learned very quickly when you got, you know, got eight or, eight or nine people behind you, all telling you where to go. I discovered for the first time one of Melissa's many strengths, her sense of direction. And after a couple of, you know, weekends of going into town from camp and trying to drive around the city of Spokane on the wrong side of the road, and everyone told me what to do, after a while I said, shh, I just just listened to Melissa, because her sense of direction was right. See, the problem is today, there's so many opinions out there. Who are you following? Everyone has an opinion. But are they right? See, I think life's too short to be led up the garden path by someone with an opinion. I want to follow Jesus because he I believe he knows the way. Actually, he said he is the way. So that's why I follow him because I actually think he knows where he's going. I actually think he knows where's best for me to go. And so when I don't know where to go, I turn to him and he leads me. And that's what David was saying cuz God, if you're this amazing if you know everything, if you are everywhere and you love me and you created me and you you, you're just totally for me, why wouldn't I follow you? Why would I follow that particular party or that particular opinion or my own opinion? Oh my gosh, that gets us into trouble, isn't it? The other thing we notice, you know, is that Jesus is humble and, um, I find that the arrogant demand we should follow, the humble invite us to follow. See, Jesus said, come follow me. You don't have to, but I invite you to. Be very wary of people who tell you they should follow you. Because that indicates their pride and their arrogance and they're probably not going in the right direction. But Jesus knows the way. Jesus is the way. And he's humble. And he says, he just invites us, come follow me. David had this experience of God, and so he followed God. This week, I was reflecting in one of my devotional times on the many, or just some of the many, actually, amazing people God's put in my life over the years. Amazing people that have sown such great stuff into my life. And before I knew it, my heart was filled with gratitude. Yeah, well, that's what David experienced, and that's what we can experience If like in the kids' time this morning, we just shift our focus from our circumstances or our problems to God, you know what we find our responses of fear, anxiety, dread, frustration. We turn to God and suddenly realize, oh, hang on, God's big. He knows everything. He's in control and he loves me. He's for me. And suddenly I encounter peace. Suddenly I encounter a sense of security. Suddenly, I can relax and rest in my spirit because my focus has changed. This morning, um, I want us to kind of work backwards. Um, I want want to ask these questions. So instead of starting with, you know, where's your focus? I want to say, what's your responses look like today? What have your responses? You know what? And some of my responses have been pretty good this week. And then some of them have been pretty average this week. It's good to look at our responses and go, okay, my responses tell me where my focus is. And, you know, we all know that can change from day to day, hour to hour. And it's okay if we get distracted by our circumstances or our problems. We just need to, oh, hang on, my responses are getting funny. I need to refocus back on God. And so I want us to ask ourselves this morning, how's my worship going? Is it flowing? Or is it a chore at the moment? How's my repentance going? Do I hate evil or am I messing a bit with it? How's my following going? Am I doing well at following Jesus or am I being stubborn about that? And those responses, just like we saw from the psalm with David, indicate where my focus really is. And so this morning, um, again, Nate chose a perfect song. Well, Holy Spirit chose a perfect song. So as we listen to this song and spend some time in meditation, I invite you to just check where your focus is this morning. And if needs be, get it back on the God who deserves our focus.